0: Philo community, what's up? Welcome to episode seventy one. If you're new to our podcast, our goal is to help you become more effective as a technical artist so that your church can become more effective. And we do that not only through the podcast but with the Philo conference, the Philo coaching, coaching cohorts, and as well as our other resources, which include our book, I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas. If you're listening to our podcast in real time, yeah, we're a couple weeks ahead of American Thanksgiving. And to those of our Canadian, Liberian, St. Lucian, and Grenadian? Grenadian, those friends of ours who celebrate Thanksgiving, happy belated Thanksgiving to all of you. With Thanksgiving in the U.S. happening right before December, it's oftentimes the start of a giant Christmas push to get ready for our services. So now is the perfect time for my yearly reminder to make a plan now so that you can survive Christmas this season. Figure out when your rehearsals will be. Make a schedule for when you're going to be home eating dinner with your family. Plan to shift around your days off. Plan something fun to do with your family, but put it on the calendar so that it's there. For those of us doing production in the local church, survival during the Christmas season requires some intentionality. If you just go with the flow, you're going to miss out on life while you're trying to get everything done so that Christmas services can happen. And I have to say, when I was a younger version of myself, I was really bad about taking my own needs into account when making a plan. And it took me a few Christmases before I realized that I needed to have a plan on the calendar if I expected to create memories with my wife and kids. You know, stuff like, when are all the school Christmas concerts? And when are we going as a family downtown to the Christmas market? When are all the Christmas parties? Maybe I should go on a date with my wife. When do I make the cheese ball? When are we watching Elf? You know, all the important things. When do we start listening to Christmas music? Yesterday is the answer, actually. I used to hope these things would just happen automatically or that my wife would figure it all out. And really creating a memorable and survivable December is as much my responsibility as it is my wife's or anyone else's, my boss. Like, if I'm going to survive it, it's up to me to figure it out. I can't just, you know, abandon my wife for her to figure it out or wish my boss would figure it out. And this is what I did for probably too many years, she would tell you. So learn from my mistakes, make a plan with your spouse, talk to your boss so that you can crush this Christmas season instead of it crushing you. Okay, let's get to the podcast. Our guest today is someone that's been a part of my story for some time, both indirectly and directly. And for those of you who have been around Philo a while, you might remember Pete Richardson from Philo 2018, where he gave one of our main session talks. The reason we invited Pete in the first place was that he is the CEO of the Patterson Center, a group that facilitates a perspective-driven approach to business and personal life strategy. I've been a part of the life plan process, helping me make a roadmap to my life at key moments. I've also been involved in the StratOps process, giving organizations a strategic plan with clear action to move forward, both at my time here at Philo and before at Willow Creek. The Patterson Center and Pete specifically have been a huge part in my own story. And I love sitting down with him. We had a great conversation about strategy in life and in work. And so let me stop talking and let's get to it. Welcome, Pete. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be with you again. Yeah, so good to see you. It's been a few years, I think, since uh, 2018, since the last time we bumped into each other. A different world, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, Things are still up and to the right in some ways, but just kind of all reset uh, in a way, but... Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, would love to just have you tell your story. What do you do now uh, and maybe how you got there? So maybe for those people who are listening, Pete's not a tech person in the local church, but uh, a lot of the things he's about can affect our lives in in great ways. And so even your story, I think, is, is a helpful thing for us to uh, to start with and, and then launch from.
1: So wh- what is it that you do? Yeah, so so my my work, Todd, is all connected to a man named Tom Patterson. He passed in 2019 at the age of 94. And just to give you some insight into his contributions to the world we live in, Tom, Tom actually filed and owns the patent to the ATM pin technology. Okay. He filed <laughs> that in 1967 with RCA. And he needed money on a Sunday afternoon. He was at the Stanford Research Lab in Northern California and couldn't get money because the banks were closed on Sunday. So he sat in his car in the parking lot and and drew out the schematics for the ATM pin technology. He was that kind of guy. He owns the same similar patents for uh, the first lightweight handheld camcorder.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And and even the DVD technology. He was oh wow. He he was he kind of grew up in his career in RCA and IBM. Tom actually he submitted to the board of directors at Disney the concept of Space Mountain and the Epcot Center. Okay. <laughs> and and he, he saw this potential between blending the light technology of RCA with the theme park concept. Okay. And Roy Dis- Disney loved it, so he was that kind of guy. He was in the world of tech. Okay, and he, he was also the guy. This is all relevant to my story, by sure. The way. Yeah. Well, but he was the guy who always ended up back then at the chalkboard trying to make sense of a meeting. Okay, and, and trying to facilitate meaningful conversations and outputs in a meeting. And lot okay. uh, of us like like meaningless meetings, right? For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, right. Death by meeting, but Tom always wanted to kind of put guided process to meetings, strategic meetings. And back in that same era, the late 60s, early 70s, one one of his bosses at RCA challenged Tom and said, Can you, can you take what back then was an 18-month strategic planning process cycle? Oh wow. Can you do that in less than a week? So Tom gifted with process design. Mm-hmm went to work and came up with PIAW plan in a week and that was compressed. And so now that all of that like strategic thinking is, is now called Stratop in the world of the Patterson center for stands for strategic operating planning process. Okay. But it was birthed by Tom in all those years and decades, Tom traveled the world with Peter Drucker, if you know that name. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, and many who knew them in their prime, said they, you know, they were the best business consulting tandem in Fortune 100. So that, that was going on in Tom's development career years. And on the personal side of life, he had a lot of loss. Okay. Uh, he lost four kids bef- before he died and two wives. Wow. Tragically, all of them. But the, Jenny, and, Jenny, his first wife and him, lost a 12-year-old daughter to, to spinal cancer. Wow. And in the midst of that loss and depression— he had a choice in a London hotel room, as he said, and it was either he was going to drink himself to death in depression or go down a different pathway that he felt God was calling him to. He, he, he would say that was his conversion moment okay. at, in that London hotel room. And he took all that process design gifting and began to apply it to leaders in these okay. Fortune 100 companies. And that birthed this thing called life planning. Okay. We took the strategic planning gift and applied it to helping individuals. So I I bumped into Tom decades later in 1992. I was a young leader at this startup ministry called Promise Keepers that was birthed out of Boulder, okay. Colorado. Here, yeah. And, and part of the leadership's investment, I'm thankful at the time. I, I well, at the time I didn't know what it was. I my turn was up to go to Paul, Palm Springs to be with this guy Tom Patterson. I would never okay. met. Him. All right. And honestly, in hindsight, I was, like, afraid of this guy. Like, what's he going to do to me? I, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was told, just go tell this guy everything about your life. And I thought it was a frightening concept. He's going to validate all my fears about myself and right? Right? <laughs> all that stuff. But so I flew to LAX airport, drove to Palm Springs, and met Tom and Jenny at their place there. And, you know, I guess I expected this, large stature sort of overtowering figure. And, and what I bumped into was this humble, almost Yoda-like. Okay. <laughs> and he did surgery on my soul for two days. Oh, wow. Asked me these guided, thoughtful, existential questions. And, and all this stuff came out of me. I was only 29 at the time. Okay. This was 30 years ago. And, um he He pulled all this stuff out of me and put it on big sheets of paper, right, just like you had your life plan done, done right right done. and and I begin to see all this like connected themes and plot lines of life, and he he what Tom did for those two days was really unveil a life pathway for me to navigate, okay, that was built on truth, truth of who I am, who I am not. Uh, what God had gifted me to do, what that might mean as I go into the unknown future. So I experienced Tom personally on that level and, and little, and, and I, in hindsight, I, I, there was this like whisper thought in me as Tom's guiding me through these two days. Like, I wonder if I could ever help people, even in a small way, like Tom's helping me right now. Right. Right. And, and I, I think Tom saw that desire in me. Okay. So the next year, actually, I went through his life plan certification process, got trained in it. And then I began to use it with all my staff at Promise Keepers and friends and family and, and grew in my ability to guide people through that. And when I left Promise Keepers 10 years later, Tom, Tom said, Hey, I want you to come to Arizona. He had a place there as well. And he showed me all of his Stratop case case studies over 50 years. Okay. Wow. And I was just salivating at this process because I was naturally good at the strategy side of facilitating, but not very good at the operational and financial side. Sure. Okay. And Tom had like merged all these things together. So uh, we went into business together. Okay. And it was a simple business model. It was like, Pete, you know how to get people to things. So you get them there, I'll <laughs> trade them. Okay. We'll cover our costs and split the profit 50-50. So I got to sit under Tom himself for like six to eight weeks a year. Oh, wow. We, we would bring people in in groups of eight to 12 people, and Tom would train them over a week, and we would certify them in life plan and Strata. Okay. And, and I, I was building my own practice at the time. Okay. Up guiding people through these processes. right and And then I got sort of through osmosis. I got to like absorb all this wisdom from Yoda himself, you know <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was just what a gift in hindsight. and then he had his double strokes in like oh. two thousand seven, and he could never really do the work again, so he had his sure. talent and was like, "Hey, you're up, you know right anyway that's a that's a fast backstory, but that's kind of my journey on the the vocational career side with Tom and those two days with him and Palm Springs changed everything. Little did I know.
0: Yeah. Isn't it amazing that uh, probably different for you and Tom because you went into business together, but so often one or two day stretch of time can change your life and the other person doesn't ever know it, you know, but yeah, you're, you're never the same as a result of it. And maybe just a reminder that you could be that other person. Uh, helping facilitate somebody's life-changing two days.
1: Yeah, and never never really know it. They call those turning points in my world, you know. Sure, right, right. Where, where life turns. And right. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes you don't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, turning points. Sometimes we know it. Sometimes you're like, wow, everything's turning right now, you know. Right, right.
0: Yeah, interesting. So uh, you mentioned just a little bit ago that I had done a life plan. It was a two-day experience. Walking into the room, Every wall surface was covered with blank sheets of paper, large pieces of paper, uh, flip chart paper. That my uh, life plan facilitator said we're going to fill all these up. You know, by the time we're done, and I thought, oh my gosh, I, it's overwhelming. Uh, but then to you know to be guided through, you know, no one's telling me my life story. It's just I'm the one telling it. But the the guided questions and the exercises yeah, really helped grasp kind of what, what is my next step? Because it was right after I decided I was feeling God calling me away from my time at Willow Creek Church and I had no idea what to do next. And so, yeah, it was a great, amazing next step. And I still, I haven't looked at my, you know, the paperwork in a long time, but I can tell you that, you know, the one of the exercises was, and you could probably describe this better than I can, but it was an exercise that at the end, you came up with a two word, Description of who you are, and one was intentional pastor, one was strategic encourager. Um, yeah, and, and I thought it was so interesting getting to that point, and then you know how well they described me. That yeah, was amazing.
1: Yeah, you were you were on the hunt to discover like what are my God given talents at that mm-hmm. point in the process, and and so the the premise there is that everybody in the world has three to five core God given talents. Hmm. You're either born with them or they're like spiritual gifts God gives you. Yeah. And and when we discover those and put words to them, then we can leverage those. We can like cultivate them. Right. And bring them to their fullest expression over time. Right. And that's where we can find our greatest joy. Yeah, and it's
0: interesting because it's not, it wasn't that my facilitator came up with the words or put the label on me. It was all already there. It was just a matter of getting the words to put to what was already, yeah, who I already was, which was so amazing.
1: Tom beautifully understood, you know, we would call it inductive reasoning or Socratic philosophy and methodology, And, and it, you could really say it's Jesus's methodology of guiding somebody with questions. Sure. So it's the art of asking the right question at the right time to create the right conversation that leads to self-discovery of truth. Right. And that's a good leadership principle for everybody, you know, no matter what space you lead in or work in. It's, or it, it's also very uh, relevant to being a parent, for example. Right, right. Guiding your kids Socratically rather than what? Dictating to them or lecturing. Right, right. So that's what your facilitator was doing was guiding you with questions. The content was in you. It just hadn't come out. Right. Those words it, came out of you, right? Yeah.
0: It's interesting just even thinking about everyday life and the, the benefits of a Socratic sort of uh, dialogue with people in the work that we do as technical people in the local church I could say in my younger years, I was generally asking the, the right question at the wrong time or the wrong question at the right time or, and usually hijacking the process because of that and just having to learn over time. Now is not the time for that question, but I'm gonna lob a couple you know, in right now just to help the thinking process of the, of the person I need answers from. But yeah, just that idea of the right question at the right time is, you know, goes beyond stratops and life plan is just a good
1: thing to learn how to do in everyday life. Yeah, how many times did Jesus ask somebody, like, what do you want? Or what do you want me to do for you? Right. And it's not like he needed the answer. He was guiding that person to put words to it. Right, right. So that's a good example of these. I, I, I think, Todd, that we have these hardwired existential questions in our God-created soul. Mm -hmm. And if we'll listen to the whispers of those questions and engage them, that's where we discover important insights and own, own these different insights of truth into who God has made us, what he's made us for, what he's inviting us into, or at times like pushing us into or calling us into. Right, right. You know, so when you're at a turning point, you're talking about turning points like you were when you left Willow Creek.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, oftentimes we feel, what, confused in a turning point. Like, everything just changed around me. I right. don't know what to do. So we have to pause long enough to ask the right questions in order to gain perspective and clarity. Right. And it's out of that perspective and clarity that we get insight and discovery of, wow okay, I'm seeing, I'm seeing what's next. And the beauty of Tom's processes is that the plan unveiled itself through, through those perspective conversations, right? Right, right. So, so he, as those papers on the wall were being filled out, you start seeing the pathway forward. Right. And we can't predict the future, obviously, but I think God's created us to go create the future. Right. Oh, that's good. And, and that's when, that's when it's fun. Well, that's why we plan. We obviously plans aren't written stone. They have to adapt to unforeseen change, but oh, God's created us to think forward. Right.
0: Right. The problem that I know I have on a daily basis is just the, the fear of the emptiness of asking those questions. Like I don't have the answer. So if I wait long enough to, sit still long enough to ask the questions. What if I don't get any answers? And so it's just easier to just keep, keep plowing forward and not giving yourself the time to contemplate, uh, who am I? What am I here for? Just nervous about coming up empty.
1: <laughs> with yeah. The and you know, you mentioned fear. I, I, you know, I've been doing this stuff for almost 30 years and I've seen a lot of story on paper and, any good story has a great bad guy, right? Like the, right. the the antagonist is like, oh, a really good antagonist, bad guy. And and the human stories antagonist oftentimes is riddled with fear. The voice of fear right. comes through. And, and what? In your case, it's like the fear of emptiness. Like it's a fear that's nothing there. Right, I'm right. going to ask these questions and it's empty. That's, that's the voice of the opposition the enemy, the, the opposer in our lives. Cause if, cause if I'm, if, if I'm your antagonist, you know, and one of my core missions would be to shut down your God-given calling, like to make you doubt that you even have one. Right. 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 Yeah. That would be a good tactic. So yeah, fear comes in and sabotages all those conversations. And I think we got to acknowledge the reality of the voice of fear Right. Fear has a lot of voices and a lot of different ways it comes at us, but its job is to, to keep us from pursuing and living God's call in our life.
0: Yeah. One of the things I remember from sitting through several stratops in my days at Willow Creek was the way we tend to try to make decisions, which is what's the fastest way from point A to point B. And so I think a lot of times that's where the like sitting still long enough Just like, okay, I have 30 minutes, let's come up with a solution, you know, in that amount of time versus circling at different levels, the problem until we come to a solution, more of a meandering way of coming to a decision. And I think that it's it's so foreign to us in today's society where everything is at such a breakneck pace that it's hard to spend the time to kind of circle a problem, see it from more than one perspective.
1: Yeah, we call that the apex of clarity. And, and Tom actually experienced that in his work in China back in the 80s. He was one of six consultants who were commissioned by President Reagan's administration to help open China to the global economy. So, okay, yeah. small task. Yeah, <laughs> well, now, we thank them now or not. Reality, but, right. You know, I've done a lot of work in China, South China and love the Chinese people. And, but they think very differently. So what you're yeah. referring to is like in the American West, you know, when you travel the world, you see how fast we move in America. Like we get things done here. Right. I was in Nashville recently and the amount of skyscrapers on their cityscape is unbelievable. The amount right, of right. building going on. And what does that mean? It's like, we have this, just get it done attitude. So if we want to, if we have a problem And we want to find a solution What you're referring to is our mindset in America is very speed driven. Like just get it done. Right. 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 And that's not All bad. I mean, we're very productive, but we run a high risk of having an impartial solution or outcome because we're moving so fast. What Tom learned in China is that they will circle that problem from many vantage points. If you flip that circling around the problem three-dimensionally, Pointed upwards, it's like a three-dimensional cone. Okay, it's up to an apex of clarity. So we call it the apex of clarity. Okay. So, so you want to take the time to like see it from different vantage points, and you get up to that peak of the cone, and that's where you get aha's. It's like wow, I didn't even know. So in ops we do that with a group room full of leaders, right? Right, right. And we create. We ask these questions. We guide the room in quest with questions to have these cross-functional conversations. So in the world of church, you have different vertical functions. Right. You know, from Sunday service to, you know, youth ministry, children's ministry, on, you know, discipleship, missions, on down the line. Right. Oftentimes we don't take the time to have cross-ministry or cross-function conversations. Right. So that's what we did at Willow Way Back, right? We created those conversations with those ministry leaders. And you you tap into the collective IQ in the room, and and you're kind of figuratively over days of doing this as sending up that apex of clarity. Yeah. And that's what's cool, because the plan almost writes itself once you like fill out that Word picture of clarity. right? All those different groups of people in
0: the local church that are working in the what's the fastest way to a from A to B? They're not always in the same direction. They're not always working together, and so yeah, I like that idea of yeah, let's come together and circle this idea because everybody's got a vantage point that is unique to them. I mean, I think about this all the time. The for a tech person, and let's say a worship leader, and then maybe even throw a pastor in that mix. Each one wants a six, we'll call it a successful service, weekend service, but they each have a different way of achieving that or things that they need to do to achieve what, what is success to them, which to the other person feels like sometimes fighting against what they're doing or at odds with their perspective. And yeah, the reality is we're all working towards a similar goal from different angles. And so thinking about it in those terms of all circling the same problem towards a solution feels way more collaborative than the other way.
1: Yeah, it's behaviorally healthy and sound. Because what's the option, which is all too common, it's where a few leaders go away and go into their office or go on a retreat, come back with the strategic tablets, yeah, and commands and like, oh, yeah, yeah. execute. and. You know, there's not a high degree of ownership in that methodology. So if you create the conversations like we're talking about, even though I may not fully agree with the outcome, I was a part of the conversation. Right, right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of sound behavior principles and all that. Like people want to be a part of the conversation. They want to hear. They want to listen. They want to adapt and change. They want to see from the other angle. And we have to assume those good things in human nature. Right. And, and so, when yeah, when there's trust in the room, so to speak. Yeah. When there's a healthy degree of trust and we can have these collaborative conversations, cross-ministry, cross-functional, with a holistic kind of outcome, that's where it's fun. That, that's where healthy growth happens. Right. That's where we're moving together forward, you know, with one another.
0: Yeah, for a lot of the people listening here, we're kind of at the bottom of the org chart. Yeah, we have less influence than the people that might be setting up uh, a chance to have these kind of cross uh, departmental dialogues. Do you have any advice for someone that's kind of in our position, you know, wanting to build trust, wanting to build uh, a collaborative culture, but aren't maybe the top leader?
1: Yeah, you don't necessarily need a title to influence. If leadership mm. is influence, I and mean, I think it's largely influence, yeah, you don't need a title to have healthy influence. So anybody can ask good questions independent of their title or where they are on an orchard. And over time, I think people with the title, if they're healthy, <laughs> you know, if they're wealthy, they're going to acknowledge the value of those questions and that thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of those leaders, you know, with the title and authority are moving so fast and they have a lot of pressure. Yeah. So to have somebody really ask good questions that create, you know, holistic thinking and healthy outcomes, you know, they're going to see the value of that over time. Right. Right. And it's, we can influence, we can influence with that kind of a Socratic approach. Right. And I suppose too, it's probably
0: asking good questions at the right time, but I think it's easy to be asking the questions that only I care about the answer to versus asking questions that, that need a bigger answer that, you know, aren't so specific to my needs and, and my, my area.
1: Yeah. For example, you, you know, I do probably 70% of my work in the world of for-profit business and the okay. other percent in faith-based nonprofit, which includes church and other faith-based organizations. So mm-hmm. in the past, I was all faith-based, you know, okay. so it's shifted over the years. But in my opinion, church is in the people business. Sure. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means, yeah, we're, we're trying to influence and impact and. Some kind of spiritual change in people, uh, which is positive and encouraging and, you know, obviously, you know, draw them to to Jesus and deeper into faith and how that's played out in today's world. So in business, we talk about who's your primary customer? Like really get, that was a Peter Drucker question. Like you got to get clear on your primary customer. Right. And, and they're like in the bullseye of the dartboard. If you identify them and understand what they value, need, want from you, in this mm-hmm. case, from you, the church, and then create processes and systems to like meet those needs. Yeah. There's going to be a ripple effect on that dartboard that's going to impact other people. But you got to, like I go to a big church. I'm not their primary customer. I know that. Sure, yeah. It's a different demographic. I live in Boulder County. You know, this is a very unchurched area. It's like the Northwest. Right, right. But I love what they're doing. Yeah. When they pull me in because I see how strategic they are. Right. You know, so my point in bringing this up, if, if we all understand who our primary customer is in the church and what they value, want, and need from us, and we're asking questions to leadership like, How do we really empathetically engage that primary customer Mm -hmm. and like take, for example, the Sunday service, design the holistic experience to engage that primary customer, in this case, primary audience. Right. I think, I think all leaders, again, if they're healthy leaders, they're like, wow, that's really good. Like that's because we all want that, you know? Right. Right. A lot of the conversations
0: I have with people that I'm coaching, we we generally start the conversation with what are what is your team about? What are you about? What are the things that matter to you? And uh, because if you don't know what they are, then you know how can you lead a team of people to accomplish something in the same direction? And I think yeah, it's one of the things I really love about the Stradovs process is like it get it gets everybody around this idea of. What are we about and how are we going to do it?
1: Yeah. Another, you know, the the principle there in Stratup is get perspective before you play it. Like Mm -hmm. take the time to circle it like we were talking about on that Apex of Clarity. A really good tool that any team can use and a tech team could use Mm -hmm. in order to get perspective. It's kind of like a SWOT analysis in business that stands for strengths. What are our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Uh We did a tool that Patterson called the Four Helpful Lists. You remember a lot from the Life Plan, right? Where we ask, "What is right? What is wrong? What is confused? What's missing?" Right. You can lead your team through those four questions, and and you could start with, "What's right about our team? Our team's composition, our focus, uh, the systems and processes that our team utilizes, the outputs of our team. What's right?" May not be perfect, needs to be right. optimized, but it's right. And then you, can, then you can ask, okay, what should be right and isn't? It's wrong. It's flat out wrong. It needs mm-hmm. to be changed. Let's make that visible. You can, you can do this as a team and write this stuff on a whiteboard or large pieces of paper. And then what's confused that needs clarity? Right. Like, we don't know if it's right, wrong, confused, or missing. Let's get it up there. It's confused. Right. And then lastly, where are there voids? What's missing? And that need to be filled in right right right. so you can have these this conversation with your team right run confused missing and and populate a uh, whiteboard or big sheets of paper and then you can go through those bullet points and say what are, now what are the core issues here right and you can siphon off you probably 4 to 7 core issues right and some of those will be strategic some will be operational some might be financial and you can prioritize those and you can have an action list that comes out of those.
0: Right. Let's say you have the conversation with your team. You might not walk out of that room, that moment with all the answers, but just having asked the questions causes people to keep having conversations about those issues, which I think then is part of that kind of circling the the, the issues and the, the problems to solve that it's now part of your conversation instead of we're not talking about it at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, because too often we have the same conversations over and over again over a period of time. Yeah. That just frustrates people. Yeah. But if we have guided process, it's like, yeah. okay, we're flushing this out. Yeah, we're not going to solve all this stuff in an hour, two-hour meeting, but at least we've identified what the core issue, the big rocks are. Right, right. And now we can follow up with those and begin to dive deeper into them. Yeah. And solve some of these things or pursue solutions to some of these things. Yeah.
0: Right. It's sort of a love-hate relationship I have with the strat ops process is the I love strategy. I love talking about strategy, but then the like nuts and bolts of okay, now this is what we're gonna do about it. That's parts harder for me. And but you're right. I think we can talk and talk and talk about what we could do about it, but until there's, a, there's an actual
1: plan in place to
0: get it done, then, yeah, it's just going to be talk.
1: Yeah, that's because you're more hardwired on the strategic side, thinking forward, right? Yeah. That's naturally part of your personality and thinking well, hardwiring. There are other people, though, who are much yeah. more operational and administratively driven yeah. who love to take those strategic big rocks yeah. And begin to execute on them. Right. And so we need those players on a team that love to do that. So we always right. look for a strat up champion in an organization. Right. Who's going to help these action initiative teams follow through and, you know, be accountable to timelines and right. desired outcomes. Yeah. And I'm like you. I'm I'm on the I <laughs> tilt towards the strategic side. Right. And and like I don't, I own Patterson Center, but I don't run it. Right. I, yeah. And I won't run. <laughs> yeah. I have a great team that runs it. David Mitchell's the president. He runs right, it. Right. Does an amazing job, and the team, and I trust them to use their gifts to like run it and grow it and help more people. But that's not my sweet spot. Sure. And I'm not yeah. gonna pretend it is, you know.
0: When I did my life plan seven years ago, I was working at the church and. As a tech person, you tend to fall into the operational mode. You have the idea, I'm here to execute the idea. And to now, now that I'm out of that environment, what I need to be working on is more the strategy side than the, the operation side. Maybe I've always been better at the strategy side and just never had the chance. been an interesting shift for me.
1: Yeah, that's a part of what we do in life planning is like, what is, where is my high contribution sweet spot or zone, right? Yeah. Because I can choose to live in that. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to become, personally, and I think I would speak for you on this, I'm not going to become a great administrative manager. I'm just not. Right, right. right. But, and and if I try to do that, I'm keeping someone who's gifted in that space from doing it. Right. So, I've got to stay in my contribution zone and know where that is. Right. And do what I can to hopefully optimize my contributions there. Right. Yeah. I think
0: knowing where your zone is too, is a piece that maybe we, we skip over or we think we know, or yeah, I just so appreciate the chance to sit down and, and figure out what it is. Um, I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's listening, (laughs) figure out what your zone is, not what you just, what you think it is.
1: We all need those kinds of discoveries. Unfortunately, I, I, you know, David Thoreau, philosopher in the 1800s, he said, the mass of humanity lead lives of quiet desperation, hmm. and die with the song still in their heart. Uh. so you know, I go, how many of the seven point eight billion people alive right now are are like walking in quiet desperation?
0: Yeah,
1: it's and and so we sometimes we need guided, like perspective and clarity to help us see what is my contribution zone, what what right. is my God created purpose, what are my God-given core talents. Right. You know, where is God moving my heart to apply those talents? All these kinds of things. Who am I really in my core? Yeah. And what does that mean in terms of, how does that begin to frame what I should do, what I should focus on? Right. All these kinds of things. So we don't have to go to the grave with all these unanswered questions. I don't think, I mean, that's why, that's what Tom Patterson sort of, Brought to life in me, and and that's what I've given my life to. Yeah, that's what we at Patterson is like. We feel compelled to help people discover the song in their heart. Right.
0: Oh man, that's such a good word. I think that it's so easy. Uh, I'm going to make a giant generalization to tech people to just kind of hunker down, get it done, live in that quiet desperation, and just uh, it's real easy to feel like you're the victim in a situation, and so. Yeah, I would just encourage yeah, the people listening, if you find yourself in that spot, it's not uh, admitting defeat to get help or decide that you know, it's time to move on to something else, because I'm pretty sure that God never intended you to to live that life of quiet desperation. Yeah, I think we're all designed to for that song in our heart to be coming
1: out. If I know what that is, it, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I, I, I know what God's Designed me for and called me to, yeah, and and that's where I get my greatest joy. Yeah, is when I do
0: it. for sure.
1: Wow, I really needed this conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I good. don't know about anybody
1: else, yeah. but yeah, this has been great for me for sure. Just a yeah. great reminder. It is. We need that, right? And and as we navigate the decades of life, and it goes quick. Scripture yeah, scripture says, "I spur her breath." You know, yeah. so it's like I would encourage anybody like. If you're hearing the whispers of these questions deep in your gut, in your spiritual spirit, yeah, heart, you know, you know engage them, give them a room to breathe, and and engage them in conversation. Hmm. Add, you know, find help. Yeah, uh, read differently. Um, and that's why we exist at Patterson. Is just to at some point every person. Encounters these these questions about why am I here? What should I do? What should I not do? And and so well, uh, we we just feel compelled to like engage those people who are at that yeah. point. Yeah,
0: yeah, so good. I so appreciate you taking time to have this conversation with me and with with our audience. And uh, yeah, thanks for what you're doing. And I, I know so many people whose lives, myself included, have been su- super affected by the process and the care that you put into training your facilitators.
1: And yeah, so thank you. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be with you again. And thanks for all you do and for your world and your sort of tribe. Hmm. But what you guys do in the body of Christ and it, people would not hear it and experience it without you guys doing what you do. So grateful for you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: There were a few things I loved about this conversation. One of the concepts was called P-I-A-N, plan in a week. Good stuff. Always good to come up with a plan for a week. Also, apex of clarity. (laughs) The idea of circling a problem, looking at it from many different perspectives. I love that idea. And it's important to get perspective before you plan to understand the problem, to understand where we've been, to figure out where we're going. And as I said in the conversation, I talk to people about this all the time. We have to understand where we are. We have to understand what we're about as a production team in order for us to move forward together. I made the assumption in my earlier days that everyone was automatically on the same page and really they just aren't. It's not bad people. Everybody has their own way of thinking about stuff. And as a leader of your team, it's important to start having the conversations to bring the team together, talking and planning about what you're about and where you're headed. I also love the idea of, you know, what if you aren't a leader? You know, how can I bring clarity to a problem? And Pete's answer is the best. Anyone can ask good questions. I love this. We're not just all victims, but anybody can ask good questions. So good. And I really like the part of the conversation talking about strategy, but also about action. You know, what are we actually going to do about it? It can't just be something we talk about. We need to act on it, which I, (laughs) as I said, is the hardest part for me. Combining my conversation with Pete to what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, knowing what you're about and developing a strategy is how we can take control of our lives instead of being the victim of the circumstances coming at us. So also, as you're getting ready for the Christmas run with your team, make sure you're thoughtful about their schedule and about the time that you have with them. You know, the Philo team was talking about this idea at the office today, and there's a chapter in my book, I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas, called Production is Tough, Let's Enjoy It. You know what? What we do is hard work, especially at Christmas time. So let's not make it more difficult than it already is. And let's have fun making memories with our teams together while we're doing the hard work. If you haven't picked up a copy of the book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, it is a great resource for you and your entire team. One review, I was like, uh, I don't know what this says about me, but I was reading reviews of my own book on Amazon. And one of them that I really liked, because it makes me feel good, I guess, is I'm the production director at our church, and I swear I order this book every few weeks. Our staff enjoy the book so much that we've been giving it out as a prize or giveaway at events, conferences, etc. I highly recommend it. The reason I wrote the book in the first place is pretty much like everything else we do around here at Philo. I've learned a bunch of lessons, a lot of them the hard way, from years of working as a technical artist in the local church. And I figured if anybody can learn from my experiences and it can help them become more effective, then the more books we get into people's hands, the better. And so I would just say, consider picking up a few copies for you and your team, maybe as a Christmas present. You know, it's not often that you can buy a Christmas present that actually has the word Christmas in the title. I'm just saying, you don't want to miss that opportunity. You can keep up to date with everything Philo by subscribing to our podcast, or you could check out the show notes and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Philo community. And we're also on Twitter at Philo conference. We've got some really cool stuff planned on social media as we ramp up to Christmas. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned. And I have to say it again. It's been good to be with you. It's been great just talking about stuff that matters. And again, come up with a plan to survive Christmas now and you know, in three weeks, we're going to be back and be checking on you. So make sure you have a plan. See you next time.